So I just want to thank Steve, Steve Wizga from Covenant Life Church coming here today to help us out while Albert is recovering from back strain, back issues. But Steve has been an elder for six years at Covenant Life Church, and he's been attending there for 40 years, so quite a long time. So I just want to welcome Steve, and thank you so much for helping us out in a pinch. Thank you. All right. As, no, no, you don't, you don't want to start there. <laughs> uh, as Mike said, my name is Steve Wizga. So, um, you know what's really neat? I just, my God here is just trying to get to know as many names and people. And uh, just a lot of the young people. And just, I'm just bringing myself back. Because it was in between uh, my junior and senior year of college that we moved to the D.C. area. Specifically to be part of Covenant Life Church. Uh, my friend and I got saved at Jesus 76, Mercer County, Pennsylvania, and uh, so he stayed in touch um, uh, with Tag Ministries at that time, and uh, so I got this revelation. Okay, now I'm going way back and dating myself. So this, the year that Keith Green came out with the No Compromise album, I got this conviction that I need to be part of a local church, and in 1980, there weren't many... Um, evangelical, Protestant, denomination-type churches in New England. Uh, my wife and I were attending, actually, a Catholic uh, college, a Benedictine monastery. Um, so I need to find a local church, and uh, we moved all the way down to D.C. Um, and been there ever since. And we have seen a lot of changes, <laughs> as some of you guys have too. And yet God is faithful. God is good. So, 24 hours ago, I'm working on my garden because we get to go to the Outer Banks this week. Once a year, my family, so we got, I have three children, so with all the grandchildren, there's 16 of us, we get to go to the Outer Banks. So looking forward to this because last year we couldn't. Not only was there COVID, but right before COVID started in February, my oldest granddaughter got leukemia. And so all of a sudden, she is one of the people that really can't be around it. Um, and it's a two-year process. She's doing very well. She's actually coming out of the last half year. But this will be the first time ooh, in a year and a half that my whole family is actually getting together. So I'm getting all my stuff ready, getting packed. I get this call from uh, Kevin Rogers. Hey, Steve, what you doing? Uh, what's up? Well, Albert threw out his back. Um, Robin, John, Jamie all, are all teaching tomorrow morning. And uh, Jose's at uh, another church in Mount Airy preaching. Uh, there's no one else left, so we thought we'd call you. <laughs> he didn't say that last line, but he just said, hey, is it possible that you could help Albert out? And I said, hey, love to. Uh, be, be glad to. This seems good. Um, obviously, with 24 hours, there's not a lot of time to prepare a new message. Grab something else. So just to understand where you guys were coming from, I opened up the past couple messages and started listening. And I noticed that back in July, Albert went through a two-part series on a devotional life. And I thought it was really good. I listened to both of them all the way through. And so it's interesting because I'm going to be hitting actually the same topic. So I'm just like, God, you're sovereign, okay? I really believe that there's like, R.C. Spool said, there's not a maverick molecule in the universe, all right? 
So, Lord, this all just seems to be you. So I'm coming here with faith, and I don't know why this, but just trust you're going to do something. So as our sister prayed before, Lord, hear her prayers. Move. All right, so if you've got a Bible, um, hey, just one other thing. Um, when I mentioned to Albert, you know, yes, I'd do this. You know, in pain on the bed, oh, my gosh. Thank you, Steve. So glad the saints are going to get fed. His heart for you guys to just receive the word, um, his transparency, um, his working out of his brokenness. Uh, you are really blessed with Albert. So I was, just, I was just touched by his heart for you guys for the word. But Luke, open up to Luke 11, 1 to 4. That's going to be our passage. The title of this, those who take notes or do titles, He Walked With God. Luke 11, verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I believe it was in the 1980s, so I've already dated myself, that I'm reading through this magazine and I come across this article. And you know those little sidebar articles? And I am terrible at names. So if I meet any of you and get your name wrong, please forgive me. But I usually remember pictures. This was a picture of like this rugged wooden cabin up on like the Swiss Alps slopes. The article, very short article, was a woman's expression of the thrill of hearing her father pray morning after morning. She would hear him through the bedroom door there in the cabin. And it affected her. It, it, it marked her life. And, and she, I, I'd love to find this article again because it moved me. But what I'll never forget is the last line. He walked with God. Why can't I? And I remember thinking that. um, That triggers my heart. When I gave my life to the Lord at this Jesus festival, what I responded to, the aspect of the gospel that I responded to was, you can know God personally. I was raised Catholic. I knew form. I knew prayers. I knew a lot of scripture. Uh, overall, was a good kid till he got high school and started messing up with drugs and stuff. But you know that's the our story. But like, I can know God personally. If that's true, I want in, and that's what I prayed. Is that safe for you? I mean, yeah, it's nice being a Christian, having fellowship and stuff. I, I, I need to know God. I want to know God. So, we are not the first. Our passage today shares that that same heart expression that I had, that I believe most of you have had, was present in his disciples. Verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, 
one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, Scripture records a whole bunch of things that Jesus taught his disciples, right? You know, there's no place in the Bible that you just see the disciples asking him to teach them something. Except here. Except now. Why? Well, I believe we can answer the why statement. Because we're going to just kind of go back in Luke... And before this statement in chapter 11, Luke records five times Jesus was praying. And you'll notice they're all significant. Luke 3.21, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open. All right, that's pretty significant. You know, dove coming down from heaven, heavens open. That's, that's pretty cool. 5.16, as crowds gathered to hear and be healed, and he would be exhausted from ministry, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is connected to his first like amazing ministry thing. Actually, Albert touched that on that on, in his message. What a day of ministry that was. Before choosing the 12, Luke 6, 12. In these days, he went out to, mount, to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Choosing the 12, big, big event. Prior to Peter's revelation of who Jesus was in Luke 9.18, now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? The revelation of Jesus as the Messiah is connected to prayer. Lastly, Luke 9.28 the transfiguration on the mountain. He took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. These five incidents of Jesus praying are listed before Luke 11. Now, I think the disciples could be someone like me. I'm a little bit slow on the uptake. But you sit there and you say, you know what, guys? I think I see a pattern. There seems to be something between this Jesus praying and some amazing stuff happening. They watch him pray. They hear him pray. And they're seeing this connection. They're like, okay, he does this. He says this. He acts like this. He's praying. These things are happening in his life. He's praying. When he prays, he's doing this. When he prays, when he comes out of prayer, these things happen. You know what is constant? The prayer piece. Hey, we need the prayer piece. I want to be like Jesus. I need the prayer piece. Jesus teaches us to pray. As a matter of fact, Daryl Bach in his commentary on Luke adds, there might be a slight note of urgency in the request since didaxon, that's the Greek word for teach us, is an aorist imperative. In other words, teach us now to pray. We need this. We've been watching you. We've been walking with you for a while. We've been seeing this stuff. And, 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 and we're supposed to follow you. We're supposed to be doing this stuff. We, we need that. If I can't pray, I can't do the rest of the stuff. We, need, we, figured you, we figured you out, Jesus. You pray, and that's connected to everything else. Teach us to pray now. And Jesus says, you're right. Let me teach you to pray. All right, so the passage we just read, 
what's he going to say? This is very important. Now, I want to pull back for a second and just imagine what's going on here. The picture that I see as Jesus is walking on the earth is like this. He has come down as the creator, the fashioner of everything. He's walking on this earth, flesh and blood, his eyes, and what's he seeing? He's seeing everything that he made wrecked and racked by sin. The plants, the ground, the air, the water, the crown of his creation, man and woman. He sees firsthand the effects of sin. And what does he do? He comes near. He draws near. He heals. He delivers. He speaks. He befriends. Now, all the time that he's doing this, there's like this doorway to heaven that he's constantly accessing. He always seems to be pulling from the door, meeting the world. Pulling from the door, meeting the world. Now, why that's important is you have to see that Jesus is not just modeling a lifestyle prayer. This is, this is who he is. This is who he was. This is what he did. This is how he survived. This was the key to his being able to walk through everything he was going to have to walk through. He did it because he had to do it. He did it because he must do it. The disciples have now cashed in on that. And they recognize the connection. And they say, teach us to pray now. So with that as a backdrop, which my first point would really be, you know what? Prayer is more caught than taught. Or let's say it's first caught than taught. The disciples saw it. They tasted it. Can you think of somebody who you really see their walk with God and their prayer life, and you're like, I want to be like that. All right. Well, the beautiful thing is Jesus has this invitation to us. He says, walk with me. All right. Um, what's Jesus going to share? Lord, teach us to pray now. All right. So is he going to say, you know, 10 ways to choose your prayer mountain? Uh, ways to cast out demons in a minute. Um, how to find a quiet place to pray. Let's see what he says. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not to temptation. That passage and its counterpart in Matthew 6 is very familiar to anybody who's grown up in church. Instead of focusing on the categories or the words to pray, I believe what's in this passage are beliefs and realities in these words that Jesus chooses to use as scripture has chosen to give us. And I think they are essential to becoming a person who walks with God. Three points. Who God is, who we are, and what Jesus did. First, who God is. Because that's where Jesus starts. 
so much is said in eight words. Father. Father. Father? This is not governor or patriarch or relative or even friend. It's father. There is not a stronger relational word, right? This is blood. This is heritage. This is inseparable bond. Abe Lincoln's son, in the midst of the Civil War and cabinet meetings and chaos going on, could run into the room and jump up on his lap, irregardless of everything else. Why? Because he was a dad. Father. Just say that word, and the disciples' words are a little bit shifted. Hallowed. Holy. Set apart, unapproachable light, eyes that cannot look upon sin, utter, totally other. Think of seraphim flying around, bellowing, holy, holy. What are these two descriptions, Father and Holy, being next to each other in the same sentence, in the same book? But this is so important. This is where we begin. Now, think back to Adam and Eve in relationship with God in the garden. All right? You, let's pretend, you are the serpent. You got to mess this up. You need to mess this up. What are you going to do? The first thing you must do is change the perception of who God is. You have to. And that is precisely what Satan's first recorded words say. Genesis 3.1, did God actually say? That's not a question. That's a character assault. Is God trustworthy, generous, good? You know what? It hasn't changed. Thousands of years later, it's the same voice. It's the same accusations. This is why Albert's message on the strong devotional life was so critical. There are voices inside and outside our heads bombarding us every moment that we're living here behind enemy lines. We must be people in the word. You know what I find? It's not weeks or even days after reading my Bible that my view of God starts changing. It's hours. Every time I open up these pages, there's some little bit of a reset in my brain. You ever experienced that? You just open them, you start reading, it's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's subtle, it's pervasive, it's constantly. So that's the first thing when the disciples say, teach us to pray, that Jesus says, know who God is. Father, hallowed, even your kingdom come, your will be done, speaks to a king, a kingdom, a plan, a purpose. Point two, who we are. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, 
it's hard to think of a phrase that more succinctly captures our true condition. Totally dependent, created beings. You think not. Just go for a little while without food or water or breathing. I am so strong, so wise, so together, until I got a migraine or unrelenting diarrhea or a microscopic virus that causes chills and shakes and a dry throat and then I can't breathe. Oh, we are so tough until we're not. My good friend uh, Chip Grange has a statement which he uses all the time. He says, in our dire straits, we are nearer to the reality of our true selves than any other time. We are dependent creatures. And in our culture, that may be the greatest hindrance to walking with God. I mean, think of it. Um, uh, previous pastor used to say we have a trial prosperity and I hear lots of Christians say oh yeah prosperity I want that trial let me have that trial but prosperity has taken down many more than adversity has why do you need God when I got a credit card or government assistance or a nation blessed with wealth so much so that our public bathrooms are nicer than the bathrooms in private homes in other countries. This is a dangerous place to be. This is one of the reasons I love praying with my brothers and sisters who come from other countries. Daily need is more ingrained in their souls than it is in mine. It just is. They did not grow up assuming tomorrow. But notice it says, give us this day, today, every day. There's not a day that we don't go about viscerally needing God afresh, new. And God personally tutored the nation of Israel in this for 40 years. Deuteronomy 8.3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. That he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This Deuteronomy passage is about learning to live dependently. And what did God have to do to teach them this? He had to humble them. He had to let them go hungry. You know, for decades, I have been praying for a revival in this land. And previous to 2020, I was praying, Lord, move by your spirit on this land. And if you can do that without suffering, please do. Because the reality is a prosperous people typically don't repent. We are too arrogant, too self-confident, too comfortable. 
What good came out of COVID? Well, if anything else, I think it humbled us. Oh, there's a lot more humbling to be done. But it did kick us in the gut a little bit and made us think twice. You know, the first steps of suffering are typically blaming, defending, accusing, complaining. Later, there's a bending of the knee and a humbling of the soul. I think that's one of the reasons that Albert's focus at the beginning of summer on devotional life now was so wise. You know, two years ago, I don't think I would be as interested in the topic. I'm more interested in it now. I'm feeling a little bit less sure about tomorrow and a little bit more desperate. Finally, notice Jesus says, give us bread. Now, bread is this great picture of a stable of human existence, okay? So as dependent people, gives us our daily bread. That's, that's a nice picture. But you know what? It's also bread. And bread is awesome. There is rye bread. There is sourdough bread. There is warm cheese bread. There is cinnamon swirl bread. And there is also eggs and milk. God made domesticated animals that lay an egg a day and a quart of milk. He gives us a daily breakfast and an animal that happens to live with people. Like, what's up with that? He made pomegranates, apples, grapes, papaya. Why are so many of these fruits hand-sized, meal-sized, people-sized? Why is there such a variety of taste and color and texture Why are there medicines for our body that we need that are found in leaves and roots and the bark of trees? Why is there ores and minerals in the ground that we need to make the things around us? Why is grass soft? Why are there seasons? Why are there songbirds? Why is there beauty? Why are there snowflakes? Why is there sunset? Why is there spring rains? Oh, Father, Give us this day. He is such a good and a gracious God. James 1.17 puts it this way. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father. So Jesus says, you want to learn to pray, you need to know who God is. He is holy. He is Father. He is good. He is generous. You need to know who you are. You are needy. You are desperate. You are dependent. But there's a last section. What Jesus did. Now, this is very interesting. The last statement, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not to temptation. Now, stop and think about that for a minute. Remember, what we're trying to focus on here is the reality behind these phrases that Jesus is using. And we just read, for we ourselves forgive everyone. Of course we do. I forgive that guy who rummaged through my car last night, broke in and took all my stuff. I forgive that boss who laid me off after 20 years that I gave to that company. 
and just diss me. I forgive that spouse who betrayed me, that friend who walked out of me. I forgive that parent who abused me, who beat me, who stole my childhood. I forgive them. No way. No way. Apart from a miracle of grace, we can't do that. Every one of us is amazed of stories of people who have been treated atrociously and turned around and forgiven the people who did that against them. We sit there and we marvelously. And it is. It's marvelous. It's a miracle. For we ourselves forgive everyone. I believe what Jesus is highlighting in this verse is nothing short of the new birth. Forgive us our sins. How? Why? Really, why? What does he get out of it? Why should he bother? Why does he do it? John 3.16. For God so loved the world. Now, do you remember the first point? God is Father. God is Holy. And how do you put the two of those into the same sentence? Now, that was a dilemma God had. Adam and Eve knew walking with God. They had fellowship. They rebelled. They had to be cast out. Sin and sin bearers cannot dwell in the presence of a holy God. So God, as you know, set up this marvelous plan. There be a seed from Eve, a root from the stump of Jesse, a child born to us. So that picture I was sharing of Jesus as the creator walking in flesh and blood on this earth and interacting with his creation and just coming near it, wanting to transform it, wanting to heal it, wanting to make it whole again. That wasn't all that he was doing. In this dark world, behind enemy lines, he was planning the ultimate detonation from within of the enemy's strongholds. And the enemy had no clue where he wouldn't have gone along with it. That illegal, unjust, contrived, merciless, bloody butchering of the Son of God Against all reason, all knowledge. A soul that had only been faithful, only been good. And when that happened, it set off a seismic eruption. As C.S. Lewis puts it in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the deep magic in the darkness before time dawn, when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in the traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Listen, if Jesus had not come, had not died, there would be no doorway. There would be no access. There would be no prayer. There would be no walking with God. A just God cannot overlook our complacency towards him. He is the one who made us, and I know my own life. I often act as if he doesn't exist. 
So when Jesus says, forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, he is referencing to his disciples that he's talking to something that historically at that point had not yet occurred. His death and resurrection. Without a mediator, there could be no prayer. Now, for those who have chosen or choose even today to repent and receive this gift of salvation, one thing you're going to notice is suddenly you're very aware that you are behind enemy lines. Correct? You do not realize how strong the current is until you stop in the midst of the current and try to go against it. And at that point, you are walking like Jesus in the shadowlands. We will live or die like Jesus by our access to that doorway in heaven. There is a river looking to knock us down every single day. I want today off, Lord, okay? Today I just... <laughs> now, you don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now or an hour. But here's what Jesus is saying. When that river hits, fall on your knees and cry out, God, help me. Just the way Jesus did. Early in the Bible, there's a verse which says, this is Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. I heard it explained this way, that um, one day as Enoch and God were walking together, God said, you know, we're closer to my home than to yours, so why don't you just come home with me? That's actually supposed to be our experience. According to the ESV study notes, the Hebrew verb for walked is a very distinctive form conveying ongoing intimacy with God. And you know what? It's not just used there. Genesis 6, 9. Noah walked with God. Genesis 17, 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me. Genesis 48, 15. Jacob says, The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked. The God who has been my shepherd. Micah 6, 8. The prophet Micah declares, What does the Lord require of you? but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. That's God's desire for us. That's so cool. What's birthed in my heart, what I want most, is what God wants most. He wants to walk with me. He's inviting me to walk with me. He invites each one of us by name to walk with him. So we're going to take 45 seconds right now to do that, to connect with God. So bring before him your cares or needs, affections, thanksgiving, whatever. No style, no form, just an invitation. Let's go ahead and do that now.
So that's thought. There may be some of us here online that when you attempted to do that, you found hindrances or obstacles, hesitations. Um, could be shame, guilt, unrepentant sin. Uh, could be uh, love for other things, distractions. Could be unbelief. For some, we could be angry at God. We could be bitter. We could be suffering. We could be in pain. Can I encourage you to seek help? First from God, but then also from others. To resolve that obstacle, whatever it is. Your beliefs behind your pressing struggle are at the root of why we don't pray. That's what this passage teaches us. But I want to encourage you to. Whether your struggle involves who God is, who you are, or what Jesus accomplished by his death, and this is so cool because I think this was the passage that was shared at the Prophecy Mike. Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize. He experienced every pain, every doubt, every temptation. Whatever you are going through, whatever, he knows personally, he knows intimately. So the best part about this passage is Jesus did not just teach his disciples to pray. He walked away from that prayer session to a cross to become the high priest. He is going to be the one by which we're going to be able to pray. Because he walked with God. So will I. Jesus will get us there. Lord, thank you for doing that. Lord, do this week, even I pray for everyone here, Lord God, that there would just be invitations, uh, surprise things that happen through the week that just kind of awaken conscience, that just speak through their heart. Um, different moments, Lord God, that just, just warms them, Lord, that meets them, that confronts them. Father, we just start walking on this path and be walking on it more, Lord God. Father, this is, this is something we grow in. We will always be growing in it. Lord, I pray that you'd bless, Lord God. Bless, Lord God, their pursuit of you, Lord God, in ways that would surprise them. And out of the outflow of that, Lord God, they would see wonderful fruit happening in their lives, in their health, in their marriages, in their relationships, in ministry, Lord God. Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen.